So then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports of him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He then rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. You may be seated. I'll tell you, that that reading goes like pretty anticlimactic pretty quickly, right? He just says that really big thing, and um, it is traditional that he would finish reading, and then sit down where he would teach. That's common. But everyone's waiting, right? This is a big proclamation. This is Isaiah. This is like bringing out the big guns on your first sermon, you know? If this is kicking off Jesus' ministry, he is literally like aiming for the end zone, right? He's just going for it. It's like the first set of downs in football. It's like third and two. Just move the ball. And he's like, no, no, end zone today. We're going for it. No day but today. No risk it, no biscuit, right? We're going to do this thing. And everyone's just like, okay, he's going for it. And he sits down. This has been fulfilled. And they go, oh, okay. It's a weird reading. I like it because um, of that intensity, that excitement, that urgency of starting with this reason, with this, with this reading. I've been anointed by the Holy Spirit because, folks, this is it. Right now, this is happening. Today is the day, which is saying something. Considering saying that would have challenged all of their expectations of the Isaiah scroll. If you were to keep reading that passage that Jesus is reading, that's only part of it, right? If he's, this passage, when he unfurls it and selects this one, they're like, oh boy, we know this one by heart. And he cuts it off halfway through and then just sits down. The thing is, he leaves out the part that everybody really was hoping for, really excited about, which is the destruction of all of their enemies. Ooh, I love this reading. Our enemies are going to get it. Love when God talks about how we're going to be vindicated. Immediately this, they would, they would be like, okay, read the part about how we're going to run the Romans out of town. Read the part about how those Roman authorities are going to become our slaves. It's going to be so great. Do it, Jesus. Read it. Get them. Go. But Jesus isn't saying that. He's got the first bit. He's saying, yes, the kingdom is at hand. The time has come. And they're like, okay, time has come to what? And he goes, cancel debts. Oh, sure, okay. Time has come for what? To get the enemy? Nope, to forgive your enemies. Love your neighbor. Heal the sick. Feed the hungry. Bind up the broken. This is it, folks. Not with knives, but with 
kindness. I'll still say, still ambitious. Still ambitious what he's calling for. I like the energy. It's an end zone shot. He's going for the end game here. We all want those things. But a lot of them are saying, okay, there's plenty of time for that. I appreciate this. But how about we run the clock down a little bit, Jesus? How about we run the ball a little? Really punish that defense. Really punish our enemies. Sure, something should absolutely No question about it, Jesus. Something should be done for the poor. Something should be done for the outcast. Someday we'll sort this all out. That sounds great. Obviously, we should be aiming for that. I love it. But now? Now? You're jumping ahead of the game. Jesus left out that one bit that they were all waiting for where evil fails, where righteousness prevails. When we will be exalted, when God will sort this all out, because it can't be done without God, God somehow got to throw out all our enemies and raise up the righteous. Once those jerks get what's coming to them, oh man, things are going to be good. Because it's always somebody else, right? Somebody's fault that things aren't going the way they should. Yes, after Rome gets burned down, after my enemies are embarrassed, after my enemies become slaves in my household, after they get their comeuppance, let's feed some hungry people. Jesus doesn't say any of that, though. Isaiah did, but Jesus didn't. Um, Jesus left that bit out and instead talks about not the bad things coming to their enemies, but the good news to those who need to hear good news in the midst of all of this. And the crowd is left wondering, how? How do you get there? How do you travel that great distance to the kingdom when all of this awful is happened? How do the poor get sorted out? How do the sick get healed? I mean, really, how do you do that and set the captive free? I mean, good luck. They're not going to open up the prisons. Those are our enemies. They need to be punished. But Jesus says, don't worry about it. It's fulfilled. It is fulfilled and you're hearing it. And folks, um, this was written a long time ago. 2,000 years ago, I worry if that happened, just as he said, it's happening right now, I worry I've missed something. At the very least, are we waiting on something that's already started? Because I am just as in disbelief of these claims. How is this supposed to happen? How are we expected to wipe away every tear? Have you ever heard the stories of the evil perpetrated against brothers and sisters around the world? How are we on earth expected to set the captive free? And I'm not just talking about physical captivity or imprisonment. What about those who are born into unbelievable circumstances? Like our brothers and sisters born in Haiti. Good Lord, to be born into extreme poverty. What chances do they have? How do we set that captivity free? Think about all the people born into, not in our own neighborhoods, born into abusive homes. How do they get set free? How do we give them a shot at life in all its fullness? What good news have we to bring them? What's the world just all of a sudden going to just wake up, be like, yep, we're going to make sure every single person is cared for, every child gets every shot possible, and we make sure they get life in all its fullness. Cool. Who's paying for it, somebody asks. How? How do we get there? Heal the sick, forgive debts. That's a tricky one. 
Just talk about forgiven debts. People get really fussy. You don't want to talk about money. Martin, we just celebrated Martin Luther King Day. Martin Luther King talked his whole career about racism. Then all of a sudden he starts talking about money, about how garbage workers should be paid a fair wage, and somebody assassinates him. Talking about money and debt, that'll get you in trouble. Jesus knows he flipped money changers and he got crucified a few days later. Don't talk about this stuff. How are we supposed That's just a few things. I hear this vision of the kingdom, of God willing someday, in the great by and by, all will be well. But Jesus says, no, nah, not by and by. It's being fulfilled now. And I ask, is that reasonable? How on earth do you do this? John the Baptist asked that as well. John the Baptist, who thought Jesus was this one who has been anointed by God. John the Baptist is sitting in prison. Captives will be set free. And he's looking around like, this doesn't look right at all. And he even says it. Hey, uh, disciples, can you go ask uh, Jesus if he's the one I'm waiting for? Because I do remember the captives being set free. And people like me, prophets, being vindicated. That's still the plan, right? And Jesus, again says, well, tell him, the blind are being given sight, captive are being set free, and John's going, <laughs> he goes, tell him, it's happened. Hard to believe, hard to believe. John would have heard that and thought, what about our enemies? What about these people who have imprisoned me? Come on, I am toast, man. I need this to start now. You said it's happening. What do we do? And this is where I think the football imagery kind of falls. Because I think we're waiting for a Joey Burrow, you know. Joey Burrow is going to fix this game. They're waiting for a single individual, a David, to come sort it out. And we get that in Jesus, but it's not. I'm sorry, it's not Joe Burrow. Like, I like the guy. But um, it's not that. Instead, it's something else. It's something we hear about in Corinthians. You hear that imagery of a body. Yes, it is something, but it's a body, and it's a body of people, one spirit connected in Jesus' body. We recognize we're all a part of that, and we realize you're right. Those things that we're hoping for, the destruction of the enemies, all the evil will be punished, the right will be vindicated, all these things, all these things you want that's not going to happen through one person's dramatic action. Because one of you doesn't have all the answers. You can't do it yourself. But the body can and the body does. You cannot through your own dramatic action, agreed, sort out all of the hunger in the world, all sickness, all poverty, all injustice. But in your ways, you can address it when you see it. When you encounter it. You can set someone free from perhaps the anger you hold against them. You can relieve someone from experiences of prejudice when you show one another favor. You can set someone free from the guilt they have suffered under their own transgressions. You can forgive them and proclaim to them a year of favor. You can feed someone who hungers. You can do that. You can commit even to no longer practicing war anymore. The world may not, may not be done with war. Nations can absolutely use war to boost production, 
create national unity, but you, you do not need to practice the art of destruction, division, anger, hatred, or divisiveness. You can be a person of peace. And when the body practices that, each part, we become a people of peace. We can get so hung up so quickly waiting on that after this, after the great sorting out by God, waiting on someone else who should, waiting for the world to somehow be different than it always has, asking instead of ourselves if we want the world to be different. We're saying we just want the world to be different. It's convenient to wait for someone else. If we simply would wait for a few unbelievably wealthy people to just give all their money away to the poor people, we'd be fine. Well, good luck. That's not going to happen. <laughs> if we need other people, people who benefit off of this to just change directions, it's not going to happen. If we're waiting for someone to knock it off in order for something good to happen, folks, ask anyone who has siblings. They'd never knock it off. Just keep going. <laughs> But folks, it says it. It said it 2,000 years ago. The time is happening now. And we say not yet. Not until our enemies and troublemakers. Not until they change first. And that, unfortunately, is what we hear Dr. King saying about uh, justice delayed is what? Justice denied. It's past time. Past time for each and every one of us who calls ourselves a disciple to ask, okay, how am I doing anything when it comes to the work of this kingdom vision that we are a part of, this body of Christ, of setting people free, giving sight to the blind? How am I forgiving debts? And you may think, nobody owes me nothing. But what debts do you hold? Who is indebted to you? Whose sins do you hold against them? Who is somebody who spiritually or relationally is indebted to you? Perhaps embarrassed, perhaps wondering if I can ever pay you back. You have the ability to set them free. A year of the Lord's favor. Who owes you? Who is indebted to you? We have the ability to end that. Isn't it past time? Who do we need to forgive? Who needs to be set free? Who do we need to give sight to? Who needs to be let off the hook so that something new and good might come of it? Because you too have been anointed. If you ever saw one of them fonts as a baby or as an adult, if you got the dip, you got splashed. You too have been marked, named, anointed, baptized, marked to be an instrument of God's peace. You have been named, claimed, marked, set apart for the purpose of bearing the good news, of setting the captive free. The news read before us today, the good news that was read 2,000 years ago and thousands of years before that, uttered here and today, is being fulfilled. It's being fulfilled and you're hearing it. And by hearing it, I mean receiving it. And by receiving it, I also mean sharing it. No day but today. No better time than now. No risk it, no biscuit. Let's shoot for the end zone, folks. Not someday. Today. Today. Let your light so shine today as a sign of your baptism so that all might see of it all might speak of God's good works revealed through this great body of believers we know the works we know what the kingdom looks like 
and we know we can't do it alone, but we also know as a body of Christ, together, each and every one of us with gifts beyond measure, an embarrassment of gifts around here, if we commit to making it today, not just a dress rehearsal for the great by and by, but today is the day. Not just preparation, but a little glimpse of what is and what has and what will always be God's hope for the whole world and every single person in it, which is a world restored to grace, to peace, mercy, love, hope for all those who need to hear it. Anywhere we have an opportunity to make it. That's the mission. May God bless us with urgency for that beautiful good news. Amen.